Hello and welcome to the Point of Care podcast. Today's episode is on inpatient hypertensive urgency and emergency. As an introduction, hypertensive crises is an umbrella term that includes any blood pressure over 180 systolic or 120 diastolic. Hypertensive urgency is a crisis without severe symptoms beyond a mild to moderate headache, dizziness, or something else mild, or any evidence of end organ damage. Hypertensive emergency is with severe symptoms or end organ damage, and we'll talk about what that means later. Mild to moderate headache is the most common symptom in a crisis, does not necessarily represent an emergency. 30% of adults in the United States have hypertension, and 1-2% to of them will have, at some point, a hypertensive crisis. The rate of the blood pressure rise is likely more important when it comes to damage than it is to the severity of the rise, since many patients live at incredibly high blood pressures. When you're admitting a patient with a hypertensive crisis, for your checklist, start with your gut check. Get a manual BP and make sure you're using a correct cuff size and check on both arms. For your ABCs, check to understand if there's any evidence of end organ dysfunction suggesting hypertensive emergency and the need for the ICU for an A-line and close monitoring and titration with antihypertensives, usually a drip. Look in their chart to get an understanding of their usual BP range, any home blood pressure meds they use, and their comorbidities, including coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure, and CKD. For admission criteria for people with elevated blood pressures, it's mostly based on the evidence of end-organ dysfunction. For your HPI intake, ask the patients about any missed hypertensive meds, missed dialysis, drug use, pain and anxiety, headaches, visual changes, dyspnea, chest pain, and oliguria, and we'll expand on that a bit later. Things you absolutely can't miss that are red flags include dyspnea, chest pain, altered mental status, and focal neurological deficits. For your admission orders, place a CBC, a CMP, a UA, a troponin, a BNP, get an EKG and a chest x-ray, and also consider whether the patient needs to be on telemetry, should get a urine drug screen, a CTA of their chest, a CT head, and restart their home hypertension regimen if it's applicable. For initial treatment that you can consider, think about whether you need to do IV or if you can just do PO medications, usually labetalol unless there's any evidence of ACS or congestive heart failure. Think about giving diuretics if there's evidence of overload and make sure that you're treating a patient's pain and anxiety and also address any underlying delirium. When considering your etiology and differential, the most common reason a patient will be hypertensive includes non-adherence to their home regimen. Other things to be on the lookout for are pain and anxiety, urinary retention, overload, medications like NSAIDs or steroids, drug use like cocaine or amphetamines, withdrawal including alcohol and benzodiazepines. Rare etiologies include pheochromocytoma and things like serotonin syndrome and neuroleptic malignant syndrome. And note that reasons that you're hypertensive in the hospital tend to be quite different than reasons that you're hypertensive in the outpatient setting. For treating hypertensive urgency, the goal is to reduce the blood pressure to less than 160 over 100 over the course of a few hours, and then to less than 130 over 90 over the course of days. You can give short-acting PO meds and then discharge the patient on long-acting PO meds. Medications that you should prioritize include captopril and labetalol over hydralazine 
and isosorbide dinitrate. A calcium channel blocker like amlodipine, while an excellent hypertensive medicine, can take a few days to have their effect, and so might not be the best medicine to do in the acute setting. When treating hypertensive emergency, the goal is to reduce the blood pressure no more than 25% in the first hour and no lower than 160 over 100 within two to five hours. Then eventually, the goal is to get the patient normotensive over three to four days. You should also prioritize labetalol over hydralazine. And you can consider doing a drip if you're transferred to the ICU so you can very closely titrate the blood pressure and not go too fast. Labetalol is particularly good if the patient is having a dissection or has a history of coronary artery disease. Nitroprusside is a good medicine for most critically ill patients. It's good in congestive heart failure, but maybe should be avoided in coronary artery disease. Nicardipine is the best for patients having a neurological emergency, like a hemorrhage or stroke, as well as for patients that are having dissection or have a history of renal failure. And nitroglycerin might be best for those having ACS, angina, or flash pulmonary edema. You should also, by the time the patient is being discharged, make sure you're counseling them on smoking cessation, weight loss and exercise, a DASH diet, reducing their salt intake, and considering reducing their caffeine intake. Some pearls. IV hydralazine, while a great medicine, has variable response and duration and should overall be used with caution. You should avoid beta blockers in ACS and in pulmonary edema, and in those cases, prioritize sublingual nitroglycerin. Beta blockers are also not the best choice in those with a history of really bad COPD or asthma. Beta blockers like labetalol and esmolol are first line in aortic dissection, and the goal is to get the SBP less than 120 within one hour when patients present with that. If you're concerned about catecholamine excess, maybe the patient used cocaine, methamphetamines, or has a history of a pheochromocytoma, you should give benzodiazepines and avoid beta blockers. Press, or posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome, is often caused by high blood pressure. You can see headaches, seizures, altered mental status, and visual loss, and you'll see edema of the white matter of the occipital and parietal lobes on the MRI. For secondary hypertension, the etiology can include many things, including medications like NSAIDs, steroids, OCPs, stimulants, it can also include OSA, renal artery stenosis, primary aldosteronism, a pheochromocytoma, and other rare etiologies like Cushing disease, hyperthyroidism, and coarctation of the aorta. As we mentioned before, you should be counseling patients on lifestyle changes. Weight loss can lead to a reduction in one millimeter of mercury per kilogram of weight loss. Exercising 40 minutes three to four times a week at a moderate to vigorous intensity can lower a patient's blood pressure five to eight millimeters of mercury. The DASH diet can lower a patient's blood pressure by eight to 14 millimeters of mercury. Reducing salt intake to less than two grams a day can reduce it by two to eight millimeters of mercury. Limiting your caffeine use to less than two cups a day can reduce it by two to five millimeters of mercury. Limiting alcohol to less than two to three drinks a day can lower it by two to four millimeters of mercury. And smoking cessation over a three-year time span can reduce your blood pressure by six to seven millimeters of mercury. So if you incorporate a lot of those different things, you can actually lower your blood pressure quite a bit without medications. One thing you might be interested in reviewing for trials and literature includes a New England Journal of Medicine review on acute severe hypertension published in 2019, which you can find on pointofcaremedicine.com.
Other excellent resources include the Clinical Problem Solver's Hypertension Diagnostic Scheme. If you remember nothing else, remember the difference between hypertensive urgency and hypertensive emergency is the presence of end organ damage above and beyond mild to moderate symptoms like a headache. If you're genuinely concerned about hypertensive emergency, the best place for the patient is in the ICU for tight titration of blood pressure with IV drips. There are real and serious risks of lowering the blood pressure too quickly, including ischemia with watershed infarcts. The ideal rate of blood pressure change and the drug of choice depends on the etiology of the blood pressure and the patient's comorbidities. In general, labetalol or nitroprusside tend to be good options, but always review any contraindications. That's all for this episode. Check out pointofcaremedicine.com to see the templates we discussed, as well as the pearls, literature, and links to other resources.